Hello, everyone, and welcome back to You Have to Watch This. I'm one of the co-hosts, Clayton Terry. I'm one of the other co-hosts, Ted Ryan. <laughs> and this week, we have a special guest with us. Connor, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Connor. I'm a friend of Ted and Clayton's. <laughs> I also like movies. Awesome. And music, too, I hear. Yes, I'm very into music. I'm in a band. What's that band called? Soul <laughs> We'll do shout out to the beginning and end because that's how we roll. Um, yeah, so we're going to start doing episodes where we have guests every two weeks. So Connor was gracious enough to be our first guest. My pleasure. And what was the subject of our movies from last week, Ted? What we decided upon at the bar at Salsaritas at RIT <laughs> was that we would be doing obscure movies and we all scoured the recesses of our minds to remember movies that no one else has ever seen, ever <laughs> told each other movies to watch. So, Connor, what were the three movies we watched this week? I recommended a movie called Grandmother's Gold, directed by a YouTuber, actually, named Brian Jordan Alvarez. Ted... You, uh, what movie did you recommend? I recommended the movie Speed Racer by the Wachowski sisters and Clayton. I recommended 2004's Thunderbirds, directed by Jonathan Frakes, who I hear is Riker on a little show called Star Trek The Next Generation. Woo! <laughs> He's number one. Is he number one? That's what Captain Picard calls him. Based on the over 90 minutes of Thunderbirds, I would agree. <laughs> Someone suggested that I break out a D6 and we roll a die. Let's do that. Let's do that. Okay. I will be one and two. Clayton, you'll be three and four. Connor, you'll be five and six. So, you are the guest. Roll the ceremonial die. One. 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 So, I would like to talk about my film, Speed Racer, first. Surprise. <laughs> this film is crazy this film is insane it is direct it is a 2008 film directed by the wachowski sisters uh the directors of the matrix and it is an adaptation of the classic japanese cartoon speed racer of the same name and it's about a boy named speed racer <laughs> first name speed last name racer who wants to drive fast and race cars Guys, what did you think of Speed Racer? I thought it was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a, a thrilling journey from start to finish. Um, although the story may have been a little cliche at times, the visual stimulation was unlike anything I've ever seen in any other movie, really. Mm -hmm. It's just like... Someone made in the analogy, it's like looking through a kaleidoscope mm -hmm. for the entire movie, basically. <laughs> yeah, I had seen this movie before. I think I saw it when it came out, so like a decade ago. And I remember enjoying the act of watching it, but then I kind of forgot about it. And I know that it's not a particularly beloved entry in the Wachowskis filmography. Um, so I was interested to revisit it because I'm not like a ride or die Matrix fan or anything. So I didn't have a lot of stake in <laughs> you shrugged. The first one's pretty awesome. The other yeah. two, they're fine. Yeah, the Animatrix is pretty good. I gotta watch the Animatrix because I just watched the other movie they did, uh, Tech on Concrete. But I was 
thrilled by how much I enjoyed the act of watching this movie. Maybe it's because I was with you guys, but just <laughs> like you were saying, the overload of stimulation that this movie provides for its over two hour runtime is really something to behold. It's kind of a good movie to talk over because yeah. <laughs> the dialogue, you don't, you don't need, need it. it. <laughs> you really shouldn't. But then like you said, the visuals are just the colors, the editing it's just we'll dive deeper into it but it does a really good job of keeping the viewer engaged i found one thing we brought up during the watching of the film and right after it was done was that in a lot of visual effects you know they visual effects like strive for like ultra ultimate realism you mm -hmm. know uh and connor you mentioned that sometimes a more stylized something is the better it aged yeah, and nothing in the that. film really looks real <laughs> But that doesn't really matter because it nails like this kind of ultra saturated neon look mm -hmm. of this crazy retro futuristic world they inhabit. And there's so many like interesting like visual choices where, you know, there's so many crazy wipes and pans and zooms, zooms <laughs> and distortions, 720 spins of the camera, flip flops. It's like. It's so hard to even, like, describe some of the visuals in the film because mm -hmm. it's so out there, you know? And just as, as, like, an illustration major, like, I just love that the film went and did its, like, own thing. Like, they knew... It feels like there's a vision being pursued and, like, accomplished and achieved by this film. I think it's interesting because there's nothing particular about the source material that demands this kind of filmmaking you know like it's not a from like the half an episode we watched and like a couple trailers of the original anime it seems like kind of more by the numbers than this movie is so i wonder what made them make the decision to go like all out in terms of like just zaniness and <laughs> colors and whatnot mm -hmm. yeah it's it's interesting going back and watching the cartoon because you expect you know, yeah. something equally outrageous and just kind of like a racing cartoon, you know, nothing too crazy. So I wonder it's like if they, they pursued this project because it allowed them to have these crazy yeah. visuals and editing. Mm -hmm. It almost reminds me of watching something that is animated because one of the special things about animation is that you can do so much with it and you can really play around with the angles and just everything visually that you can't normally do with just a camera. But I think this movie does a really good job of like portraying that level of creativity and craziness through a live action reel. Mm -hmm. I almost wonder if this film would have worked better as a like 3d animated cartoon but i think like for me what sells the film is seeing real people in these mm -hmm. insane bizarre world that's like flipping and twisting around them you know it's just like this weird like visual disconnect that actually like works for me you know because yeah. when it's not engaging it's at least fun you know whereas yeah. like a 3d animation like that probably would be more conventional but even if it went like this level of wackiness it might be like too much you know what i mean because mm the real life actors kind of ground you almost in looking at something you're used to when the background is like two town <laughs> visuals as you right you kind of compared them to spy kids 3d visuals yeah spy kids 3 is perfect 
Wasn't saying it wasn't. <laughs> I know, I just get very defensive. And another thing I'd like to mention is that, you know, we were talking about how the story is a little cliche, you know, a little by the numbers, the dialogue doesn't really matter, but what I love about this film is that there's true sincerity in the story, mm-hmm. you know? It's a, it's a story about family. It's a story about friendship and about not giving up and all that, and it feels like every single character... And every single actor gives like a genuine performance and there isn't a hint of like sarcasm or cheese. Or it, it is very cheesy, but it doesn't shy away from that. The acting itself wasn't that bad either. The actors, were, they played their parts pretty well. Yeah. Susan Sarandon and John Goodman play Speed, Racer, Speed Racer's parents and both of them are like fantastic in this. Yeah, they are like the stereotypical supportive family <laughs> loving parents that you would always expect to see in like this kind of movie and they played it really well mm-hmm. and something i like is there's not a lot of internal conflict between the family you know what i mean like that can get kind of tiresome sometimes where it's like oh you're a dysfunctional family cool we've seen that before but you all love each other deep down this is like no we love each other on the surface and deep down you know what i mean so John Goodman's character, the father, gets angry when Speed is in that race, but then the, he ultimately comes around and they work together. And right. It's just like conflicts being shortened down to just like half a scene, <laughs> so we can get to the fun of them all working together and then Speed ultimately racing with the support of his family. Like it sounds silly, but I actually really appreciated that. Yeah. And skipping that more typical storyline. It was very wholesome. Yeah, definitely. And building off what you just said, um, this the script of this film is so tight. Like I feel like so many things get like set up early on, and then like that actually has a payoff. You know, like I was like blown away by it. Like it feels like you are rewarded for paying attention because like this pays off and this pays off, and like it feels like there is not a single plot thread that doesn't get left hanging. You know, it all comes together. I wouldn't say tight, though. <laughs> like, I think about how long they're in that freaking factory, like, being shown around by the villain. Oh, they're yeah. in that factory for, like, 20 minutes. That's not <laughs> a tight script. I think it's aware of itself and the visual symbols it sets up. It does pay off. Mm. I wouldn't say tight. <laughs> I think what Ted meant was that there's a lot of small details that end up actually mattering. Yeah. In the end. And something that in a lot of movies might just be brushed off or just there for flavor Mm -hmm. are actually significant in this movie Mm -hmm. which is impressive and entertaining at the same time when you notice it yeah definitely that's fair i think my favorite like edit slash moment like that like the commitment to visual storytelling is when john goodman's character pops is wrestling and he picks (laughs) up a guy and the camera zooms into his ring, and it's like the championship ring of a wrestler, and then it zooms out, and you see him like spin the guy around like it shows on the ring. It was like Greco-Roman wrestling league. And the movie's ridiculous, but that's a great way to convey information, you know? Right. So. It's like obvious, but it's at the same time, it's not like they're just saying like, oh, dad use your wrestling skills or something (laughs) it's like 
the way we discover it as the the audience is like a fun way you know yes. like we didn't need to know it up to this point and then it's like boom here's how he's good at wrestling you know and he's beating beating the crap out of a ninja mm-hmm. or more like a nanja as he would say and it's just like exposition without any dialogue or even a single cut you know it's just zoom zoom out and i feel like i never see that so that's just another testament to the stamp that the wachowskis are putting on this movie Mm -hmm. all of the racing scenes in this movie are so fast paced and like the cuts are so quick and everything's moving really quickly, it helps to convey the intensity, I think, that's happening in the moment, in the movie, to the audience. So that even though you're just sitting on the couch, you are having that, like, intense experience being thrown at you, like, at the same speed, at the same level as, like... I guess that the racers would be experiencing. So it helps like portray that that uh, fast-paced intensity that's happening. Right, like the way it's edited, it makes me feel, feel like that frantic editing style. Like I was never at ease watching the racers, just as the characters were never like at ease racing. Like they always had to like be paying attention and like outsmarting their opponents. Exactly. There was never a boring moment where it's just... like a still cut of a car drifting around a corner or something it's always at least two things happening on the screen at the same time and it's never incoherent i found like i always kind of understood what was going on even when they're the way they choose to show dialogue while racing is instead of cutting having like zooms back and forth as the car's like in a line like you would think that would get just confusing and kind of become an eyesore but like it keeps that dynamic momentum of the race even when it's just like could otherwise be portrayed as a single of just one racer and then a cut and then another single and it's like oh we have your pieces blah it's like it's a way more interesting way to uh shoot that kind of a (laughs) conversation and how about that fight scene with the whole family on the cliff's edge that unironically gave me chills as it concluded. Like, pretty awesome. Yeah, hands down, that is one of the most unique, entertaining, crazy fight scenes I have ever seen. <laughs> it it involves every single character in the movie, pretty much. <laughs> Except maybe the mom and the bad yeah. guy. And everyone gets their, like, moment to shine and beat up a bad guy or something Mm -hmm. like that. And it's all unique in unique ways. It's not just a fist fight. There's people getting thrown into other people. There's random objects being used. (laughs) I think I mentioned this in the previous podcast, but my favorite bit of that is when the... I think her name's Trixie? Yeah. Yeah. She is wearing high heels and she steps over a gun... And her heel goes through the the trigger guard and she kicks away the gun on the ground using the heel. And it's like a blink and you miss it scene. And it's like so entertaining. And Ted, you talk about like getting chills. I have no nostalgia for (laughs) the original IP of Speed Racer. But when he 
survives like the cliff drop that's around where his brother died died in quotations and he lands and is able to like cut off and defeat the particular bad guy he's racing against and the theme cuts in i like get chills and i'm like yeah speed racer fuck me up (laughs) and i I never watched it as a kid my introduction was probably this movie when i was younger (laughs) so i don't know why that happens but just good filmmaking i guess so yeah and just like it is something i recognize tied in with a genuinely cool set piece definitely and you know we don't race because we're drivers we do it because we're driven you know it's a good quote this movie sets out what it accomplishes accomplishes to do and i highly recommend this movie it's just uh like you said even if you have no knowledge of the brand it's so entertaining it's wacky it's wild great performances fun performances the villain's great you have to watch this ted i wanted to ask you since this is uh morps not it's kind of obscure people don't talk about it a whole lot how did you find this and why is it meaningful to you uh i found this because i was hanging out with my buddy richard and we were flipping through tv channels and we found this film on tv and we started watching it yeah we were just kind of like immediately like grabbed by the film i think yeah. it was during one of the races you or... really can't not be grabbed by this <laughs> it's film. hard yeah i think it was when the villain was having his monologue towards speed racer he was like what are we watching we're stop everything we're doing this is what we're doing yeah i don't know if it holds any like sentimental value it just was a lot of fun yeah so ted do you want to pick who can talk about their movie next hmm well i think i would like to talk about thunderbirds next Uh, For the reason that both Speed Racer and Thunderbirds are adaptations of obscure cartoons from the 50s and 60s. They're also both more geared towards kids, I think. I think. (laughs) Right, yeah. The kids-oriented fun adventure reboots. Thunderbirds is based off a cartoon? I'm pretty sure, yeah. It was... What? I don't think it was Hanna-Barbera, but it was one of those, like, Saturday morning three TV channel shows okay so that's you know maybe the the treatment of the people of color in this film might be traced back to oh yeah that yeah that's that's a pretty rough (laughs) why does my movie have to be the problematic one god damn it um okay so i recommended the perfect movie (laughs) 2004's thunderbirds directed by jonathan frakes as we mentioned just a quick summary because like we talked about it, it is obscure uh when the hood. <laughs> oh my god. I didn't even put that together. I didn't know that. Together. Finds and invades International Rescue's secret base and traps most of the Tracy family. Only one young Alan Tracy and his friends can save the day. So basically, the Thunderbirds are like a secret organization funded by the U.S. government. Or the world? Or the world, question mark? Probably the world. And they all have their own little ships, and they go and they save people. And they're all one big family yeah, with of dudes. Bleached hair. <laughs> they're all men. Handsome, <laughs> muscular, shaved. American. Yes. <laughs> but they live on an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. With a rocket ship that comes out of a pool. <laughs> what more could you want? <laughs> um, how did I find this movie? I 
think I had it on DVD, so I would watch it over and over again with my brothers when we were young, because it came out in 04, so we probably, from like 6 to 10, I probably saw this movie a dozen times. <laughs> um, so it was towards the forefront of my mind when we decided on this obscure, <laughs> obscure genre. It's not super meaningful to me besides that kind of backstory, but it was cool to revisit this movie and genuinely actually think it wasn't that bad. I was ready for this movie to be horrible. That's always a good feeling when you yeah. re revisit something and it holds up. Like it's a kids movie and it comes with all the uh, drawbacks of like a shitty kids movie, but it's unlike a good... Speed Racer. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good shitty kids movie. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm curious, what did you guys think? I I thought it was pretty good. The plot <laughs> is definitely very cliche. However, there are a lot of um, fun moments in the movie where a character will say something like, oh, what's the name of the kid The with the goggles oh it's so oh. it's horrible it's a horrible <laughs> uh, it's he always says something fermat fermat like, fermat what does that mean he always has these quips and these jokes <laughs> that are surprisingly wise for someone <laughs> like him and every time you would say something i always have this just reaction of like oh yeah <laughs> classic, <laughs> classic fermat <laughs> <laughs> Connor, what is cliche about taking the boy band in sync, making them all one guy, and they're all in the same family, giving them rocket ships in the task of saving people? I think <laughs> deep sigh. <laughs> it's not so much that part that's cliche, but the whole hero's journey of Alan being constantly told that he can't do something but he's the arrogant teenager that he does want to do it and he's he disobeys his his superiors his parents in this case and then obviously then the, the villain comes in the parents <laughs> the can't hood. help the hood <laughs> and then the protagonist saves the day with the love interest and the comedy relief character by his side. <laughs> and the girl who is just there, gets no lines, is rarely acknowledged. <laughs> Honestly, she did not need to be in this film. <laughs> the best point of that is when uh, Alan's on the beach and she runs up and he looks at her, says nothing, and looks away. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, it made oh sense in the script you come up here. <laughs> and her name is Tintin. No relation to the French comic. No. <laughs> the Belgian comic. Ted, over overall thoughts of this movie? Uh, this movie was a lot of fun. Um, I was most excited about this film because it was directed by Jonathan Frakes, who was Riker on Star Trek, and he directed a couple of episodes of that, as well as a couple of movies. And all throughout this movie, I was seeing, like, because I've seen so much of his stuff, I've just noticed all of, like, the director trademarks. A lot of this film was shot like a Star Trek episode, you know, of, like, the bridge interior of, like, the villain ship and the lighting. I and even noticed that. Like, just the way characters are placed within the frame of, like, overlapping and, like, 
it's usually a lockdown camera that doesn't move and like characters moving within that frame. So yeah, that was entertaining. It was like a lost Star Trek episode. But um, yeah, it was fun. Uh, it held my attention the entire way through. The acting was fine. Uh, it was, it did got the job done. Nothing outstanding. The set design and the rockets and the vehicles yes, were yes. awesome. Absolutely. The vehicles were so cool. I especially like Thunderbird 5, as you all know, is the spaceship one. <laughs> Aren't they all spaceships except for the it's diving? It's the orbiting, like, yeah. satellite Okay. Ship. Well, there's five of them. There's one that's that. I think three are just rockets, basically. And then, no, two the are rockets. The one is a submarine. Yeah. Wouldn't it suck for that to be the one you get assigned to? <laughs> like, the submarine's like, <laughs> well, ooh, is this one a water rescue? It's like, no, we need a rocket again. That's why we have two. You can grab the co-passenger seat in the back. I love that one tank in the basement where uh, it's like a laser cannon thing. And it has like all these like... I'm thinking about the lasers from Guardians of the Galaxy 2 where it's like all those balls on the mining ship. Yes. It's oh, kind of yeah. like that where it's like... And it shoots tons of lasers really quickly to cut a perfectly rectangular hole into this into the side of a silo... Missile silo gate. Mm-hmm. Just really cool. Playing off of that, there are some great sets and production design yeah, in this film. Definitely. Like that hangar set, they like use it a lot. And it's like, it's a big set, you know? And they, you can tell they actually built something. And, you know, like the villains, submarine, and like the pool area. Yeah. Good it stuff. had that really, that whole, their house on the island had like a really cool, like, Almost that retro-futuristic look from Speed Racer, although a little bit less. But it has that really cool modern design with the sleek mm -hmm. lines and the half-circle. 1970s um, Frank Lloyd Wright all the layers. style house. Yeah. Definitely. And the pool that moves out of the way. <laughs> As a whole. They create... don't drain the pool. They just pick up the pool and slide it underneath. Where does the water go? Is it the whole pool? <laughs> I think it's the yeah. whole pool. Like, and if you look, there's another pool that's at a level above it. And the pool that moves goes into the pool above right. it and just disappears into it. The production design is and set design is great, as we mentioned. The sound design is wacky. <laughs> I remember <laughs> a, a lot little of strange. cartoon yes. sound effects and... Every single movement needs like a slapstick noise as a joke. Especially during the fight scenes, if someone hits someone on the head, there's always that like, bonk! <laughs> <laughs> like every single weapon is like a frying pan. <laughs> but you, you talk about the fight scene and the fight scene with Penny and Parker, by the way, best characters in the movie. Yes. I gotta say, I loved those characters. She, she That was the secret agent character. The right? British yes. lady who wears uh, yeah. all pink. She, that character. The flying, the amphibious car plane mm -hmm. vehicle. Why wasn't the whole movie just about her? I know, they we should need make a spin-off spin -off movie. <laughs> a direct-to-DVD bargain bin spin-off. <laughs> Because, like, she doesn't really need to be in the movie. Yeah. But, like, and they don't explain who she is, really, or why she <laughs> right. knows the Thunderbirds. <laughs> is she just, like, an MI6 agent? She's introduced, like, meeting the protagonist at his school and, like, flying him to the island. Yeah. She leaves the film and then comes back. She's just a super rich, kung fu fighting <laughs> British lady who 
has ties to the Thunderbirds. Just a friend. Friend of the family. Yeah. And I was about to say spoiler. Oh, we can move into spoilers if you want. I was just going to say how she, like, <laughs> her and uh, the dad, I forget his name. Thunderbird one. They definitely have, like, <laughs> there was implications that they were, like, some, some tied in some, some way. But they're, um, like... They're like hooking up, but they're both emotionally mature and know that there's like nothing more than that, so they can be friends while having sex. Yeah, so that's <laughs> that's the connection there. <laughs> the scene in the freezer where she uses like her high heel to bring down an icicle that cuts Parker's like handcuffs. <laughs> Ooh, perfect. Both of these movies have a great high heel scene. High heel action yeah. scene. There better be one in Grandmother's Gold, or else we'll just throw you out. <laughs> oh. I gotta say, I noticed a couple of pretty severe continuity errors in this movie. Well, Such as? Well, not severe, but there's a scene um, kind of early on where the huge henchman guy, I forget his name. Yeah. Mulliard or something? <laughs> Mullion? Something like that. He gets absolutely drenched in this like green nickelodeon slime foam <laughs> stuff and he's just slipping in it he's completely covered from head to toe and in the next scene he's dry and clean <laughs> and no sign of any of that i did not think i did not catch that <laughs> at all he's also in the same outfit the whole movie i'm pretty sure yeah so is that his whole closet in their little submarine <laughs> is that like black jumpsuit he was wearing or whatever it's a comfortable outfit you know there's nothing wrong it's body armor right and he has multiple outfits specifically for this occasion in case he gets slimed yes <laughs> clearly he went and took a shower and... but they didn't include that part there's this part later on in the movie where they're they get connection with their dad and their brothers out in space mm -hmm. and they talk to them and they say oh they're on they're on their way to london we have to go stop them and he's like okay you do it get on the ship and do it and they're like yeah so the three kids they get into one of the elevators and the door closes and they're like oh you ready whatever and they get in the ship and then Somehow, Miss Penelope, <laughs> that character, is on the ship with them with no explanation of like oh, you're how right. she got there. Yeah, because they all—it was like the three of them—they get on the elevator, like Thunderbirds are go, and they do it, and then she's just like in the back seat, like smiling <laughs> yeah. with them in the next scene. What if it just like opens up, like that front door closes and then it opens up a back door to just another room that you get in by just like going around the corner? <laughs> it's not like a chute that like puts you into the rocket. It's a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> not to invalidate your moments of incontinuity, but No, it's just something I, something I noticed, so I wanted to point it out. I, I do think I, I do remember being confused by that, but I didn't really pay attention to it. It's like, oh, she's there as well, you know? Yeah. No, it's it's not like a huge thing, but I thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, Ted alluded to this in the beginning, but this film's treatment of people of color and women is pretty bad, except for Miss Penelope. <laughs> well, yeah, I thought like it was kind of progressive. In like, parts. for females, I guess, because, like, all the females were strong characters, I think, except sure. for maybe Tintin's mom. 
but she I don't think she said anything even <laughs> she in the had movie. No dialogue, but like so. <laughs> I also noticed like the Thunderbird dad, I forget his name. Bill he picks up the phone and it's the president and it's like Miss President. It's a yes. girl. That made me so happy when we were watching. <laughs> yeah. Um but on the other hand, they have a garden worker on their island. <laughs> right. And of course, he's Hispanic. <laughs> And, and he had, they rescued him from like a mine accident or something <laughs> in South America. Are they just and holding they him just... captive? <laughs> Come to my island with your family and be my gardener. <laughs> I don't know how to garden. Well, you'll learn. Every rescue, we take one person. <laughs> that's our prize. No, that's why they have all the the meat lockers. <laughs> oh my god, they do. No, it's 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 kind of weird that like all the characters of color have like no dialogue, and it's like, man, I can't wait to see my dad. And it's like, yeah, I can't wait to see him either because he's had no lines in this movie. <laughs> Vanessa Hudgens was that Vanessa Hudgens? Yeah, that was Vanessa. Oh Hudgens. my god! Like four years before High School Musical. I thought she looked familiar. Early career. Yeah. I um, one thing that I thought was weird was that like the the bad guy, the hood, has like a evil scientist lady as like the tech oh yeah person and the movie like constantly portrays her as like hideous or yeah. like characters act yeah. as if she's hideous oh yeah not really no like not not at all she looks completely normal she is like she's wearing a horrible outfit <laughs> right and I th- maybe she has fake teeth or she's just like was asked by the director to, like, always make sure they can see your teeth. Connor just did an impersonation that was very accurate. But, like, they make the sound effect of her, like, coming down the stairs and, like, walking in wet shoes, or it's like, squeak, squeak. And then she turns around, and it's, like, a Dutch angle of her face, and, like, another sound effect of, like, how shocking it is, and she just looks like a normal person. Yeah. And that that was the moment where me and Ted like groaned at the same time. <laughs> I thought for sure that she was gonna have some kind of redemption arc because they implied so many times in the movie that like she had like a soft spot, I guess, for the character Brains, the like scientist guy, <laughs> and like it seemed like she had like some kind of feelings for like the main characters. But she she always just kind of, like, did what she was told. Mm-hmm. Why did this movie seek to, like, <laughs> smear that character? You guys ever watched, um... <clears throat> it's one of those cop shows. I think it's NCIS, NCIS. And there's, like, a hacker character in it that's, like, dressed like a... Kind of golf, yeah, kind of yeah. hipster. She's kind of in the similar outfit where it's like, Oh, she has nerdy glasses and bangs and black. She wears black and red. So, yeah. Her clothes don't match, so she's evil. <laughs> Just stereotype. But, yeah, if we don't have anything other points with Thunderbirds. No. I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I have any profound thoughts about this film. No deeper themes. Uh, it was. This is a fun movie from my childhood, and I'm glad I got to share it with you both. Yeah, I'm glad definitely. I got to see it. Are you? <laughs> For the most part, yeah. <laughs> you waited a long time. <laughs> I'm a busy man. <laughs> but not too busy for Grandmother's Gold. Connor, tell us about the movie you had us watch. So, Grandmother's Gold is a Christmas movie. But 
it's like more than a Christmas movie because it has themes of connections with your family and friends and love and all that good stuff. It tells the story of a group of friends who all kind of meet each other on this day. Basically, the the economy collapses in this society, <laughs> and they have to find their grandmother's gold to survive. So in they this. go on this journey to find the gold, and in the end, they find that friendship was the true gold. thing that they were looking for. <laughs> yes. It's a very wholesome movie, and it's just so much fun to watch in the the characters and the dialogue between them is always great. Just good vibes. How did you find this movie? I think I saw, like... So, this movie is on YouTube. And the guy who made it has a bunch of other, like, short, like, skit videos. And I'm pretty sure I saw one of them just linked on Reddit. And I kind of fell into this rabbit hole of watching <laughs> a bunch of his other videos. Because they all kind of had the same vibe. And then I realized that he has a full-length movie, well, an hour and 20 minutes movie on YouTube. I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to freaking watch this. And it ended up being awesome. Both times I watched it, by the time that it was over, I was just in a really good mood. Because it's like, yeah, it's like good times. Yeah. You just feel better after yeah. it. I feel like this Makes film me... very much feels like this filmmaker got a bunch of his friends together and it's like let's have fun let's shoot something you yeah. know and it feels very improvisational and like off the cuff it makes me want to just go out and like do some random stuff with my friends pretty much right yeah because that's what they do in the movie and then like making the movie you know yeah i feel like almost all of the lines in this movie are ad-libbed because they all just have so much chemistry that they just get along with each other and they just come up with these amazing conversation scenes there were a couple of times where some character would just either ad lib or just have a really quick line and i just like guffawed you know like <laughs> i had a really hearty laugh yeah i watched this in a library study room because it's just like <laughs> the most convenient time and place for me to watch it and i was at a couple moments i was like laughing out loud to myself and i was kind of surprised by that because i've seen a fair share of YouTube movies, and not all of them are, I was going to say good, but not all of them are watchable. <laughs> Some of them are pretty rough. Any recommendations to avoid? Uh, I hear the Smosh movie is horrible. Oh my god, Smosh made a movie? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, the one I watched, Agents of Secret Stuff, was Nia Higa's video, and I remember that being hilarious. It's probably not great anymore. Some of the later seasons of Video Game High School get a little cringeworthy. Some of the later ones. It was amazing in the first season <laughs> one thing i will say and again maybe because of the stereotype i had going into this with youtube movies i was like immediately surprised by the acting chops of a uh, brian jordan alvarez danny and uh stephanie koenig madeline the two main characters yeah yeah the two siblings like they were genuinely funny and seemed to have some chemistry i looked it up and i guess stephanie koenig has been in a few movies and like minor roles so it was cool to see that like right off the bat yeah the acting in general in this movie is actually pretty great it's believable it's not overly dramatic and it's not like they're just delivering lines either it really <laughs> is just like they're having a conversation i will say this one thing i did not like about this film 
is that I felt like there were too many characters. Like, yeah. it seemed like near in the first act, like, every scene introduces, like, one or two new characters that joins the party. I felt it the most with the gasoline attendance yeah like, there's not one but two and they're both brothers that have the same story it's like same motivation <laughs> right it's like do we really need both <laughs> that's a good point and that one part of the movie where they spend some time in that one guy's house <laughs> yeah hasbro child yeah <laughs> seems pretty unnecessary for the most part. That could be removed from the film and nothing would change. Exactly, yeah. It was hilarious, though. It, I was, it was funny. Really funny. It was really it was funny, funny, but it had no stake in the plot whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> He's not even in the final scene where everybody is just Comes giving together. Christmas presents to each other. <laughs> that would have been funny if he was back there. Yeah. <laughs> I like the person that he has like in the shower they like cut him free and they all run out together and then the guy's just gone yeah yeah i was expecting another character introduction but he's he has maybe 30 seconds of screen time if even <laughs> right it reminded me a lot of the movie game night have either of you seen that no so it's a uh, jason bateman, bateman <laughs> movie that's basically he falls in love with someone and they're both obsessed with board games and then one thing leads to another and they're in a board game-esque like murder mystery but the stakes are real so the plot is absolutely ridiculous but because the movie starts out immediately at that ridiculous level of like people falling in love over their competition for board games you're like right on board with all the ridiculous shenanigans that follow <laughs> yeah so this movie grandmother's gold reminded me a lot of that of just like from the from the get-go you're like this plot's gonna be ridiculous <laughs> so why don't we use this plot as service for comedy as service for genuine feelings of friendship as service for just kind of having a reason to have fun with the people we're making this movie and having liked both of these movies i think that was really satisfying to see hmm. yeah i feel like there was some like genuine writing and some genuine yeah. morals that yeah. were like between all of the really silly like scenes, there are definitely some some real down to earth things that right. the characters share between themselves. And like the the final couple scenes are so ridiculous and insane, but like all the characters are kind of like ignore the absurdity and exactly. just like focus on like the heart of the situation. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah, I mean they say it a couple times, and again like another dynamic where there's not a lot of infighting it's just kind of them getting along and doing these ridiculous things together solving riddles yeah <laughs> <laughs> i loved that guy the the riddle master he was funny <laughs> verton verton <laughs> great guy as soon as he appeared in the film it's like i just want the whole movie to be about <laughs> this guy he did get a good amount of screen time too right <laughs> yeah definitely the sister and um the sister Madeline and him were my two favorite characters. <laughs> yeah. I think my least favorite was there's a guy in a white shirt who explained the economics of the situation oh. to him. Oh, him. Like the first friend. Jim. And, and I, I the feel economics like, major. <laughs> like, after that, I felt like he didn't do anything in the entire film. He just had this really weird, like old lady fetish that kept coming up in really creepy ways <laughs> yeah and the humor for that character specifically never really worked 
for me. Like I have to agree. He says something like rudish to his girlfriend, and she's like, oh, "Why do I love you?" <laughs> and it's like, and then she's not at the hollow or the Christmas party. I <laughs> yeah, think. just his Honda <laughs> or his uh, the Ionic. Yeah, yeah. Ionic. Should we go into spoilers? Yeah, sure. Kind of want to talk about part of uh, what happens at the end. Where they reveal that this whole adventure was really about God. And Jesus. And Jesus. (laughs) That character is so funny, by the way, when he's sitting in the chair and he's just like... He is giving this family, the two siblings, like a test to see if they can realize the value in, in existing as humans. And basically, God reveals that even though he created humans and all this, he's like self-conscious about his own creation, and he's worried that humans have kind of lost their way. So he has selected this like family of descendants to every generation. They have to do this test (laughs) to figure out if they know the true meaning of Christmas. So it's revealed at the end that there is no gold, but they have to go talk to God. And, and if, they, if they pass the test, they get the gold. If they fail, everyone dies. Comma, of old age. <laughs> Do they say that? Yeah. Oh, I missed that. All of humanity dies, but like eventually because the energy crisis. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My uh, favorite part of the reveal that they're talking to God and Jesus is... Like, he, when he reveals, he's like, I am God. And, like, thunder. They're all like, ooh. And then one of them, like, yells out, like, wait, you're white? And he's like, uh, yes. Today I am. Yeah. Fucking Chris Hardwick looking motherfucker. Yeah. Talking dragons or yeah. whatever it is. Talking gold. The talking dead. That's what it was. Talking dead. Oh, I thought you were bidding. I was, but I remember the actual name. Better talk, Saul. Or talking bad. That's what it was. They haven't done it. Better call someone yet. Good. Yeah, I mean, that whole, like, I was not ready for that third act. Like, nothing really hints at that God or Jesus thing. And, yeah, there was some pretty good dialogue in that sequence. Like, really wasn't expecting the film to really explore that kind of stuff. Yeah. At the end, the two characters kind of get their, like, redemption where they kind of realize how much that their parents have done for them and how much they love their own parents. And that's like the the whole reason they really embarked on that journey in the first place is because they didn't want to spend Christmas with their parents. They were angry with them, but at the end, after everything they went through, they realized that there's nothing they wanted more than to spend it with their parents and make up for the arguments that they had. It's just very wholesome. That... Oh, like last act also contained my favorite quote referring to the grandmother. She's a hermit, but she's a non-binary hermit who uses the pronouns she and she is your grandmother. (laughs) Just like the way the dad delivers it is so like matter of fact and so perfect. And the grandmother, by the way, is played by a man with a beard wearing a wig. (laughs) And they put an effect over his face. To make everything black and white, just on his right. face, <laughs> and sometimes her face. It's not a perfect like clipping, so that like the hair <laughs> of the wig is like blonde, so it's like. <laughs> but somehow, it works. Maybe just because it's a YouTube movie, but 
<laughs> it's forgivable. <laughs> it's cute. Yeah. One of my favorite, and this is just a very tiny moment, but one of my favorite moments in the movie is at the very end, after they all, they get the gold, they get everything, and they're all sitting in the living room, and they're just having, like, a good time. They're opening presents, and someone gave God a copy of the Bible. <laughs> and he just opens it, and he's like, oh, come on. <laughs> I always find that part so funny. Yeah, I, like... There's there's a lot of, like, quippy humor in this film, but there's also, like, a lot of, like, visual gags as well that I thought were successful. Like Yeah. That. So it's, like, it's, you know, I feel like a lot of comedy movies, you know, like, they lean heavily on one way, but I think this film had a nice balance. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Cool. Anything else about Grandmother's Gold? Definitely worth a watch. I definitely want to check out more of this guy's channel. He has a lot of great content. Mm-hmm. Him and I forget her name. The other actor, uh, Stephanie Koenig. Him and Stephanie actually have like another mini series together, playing slightly different characters, and it's also just as good. Just as much zany dialogue between them, where they just riff off each other <laughs> and go way off on some tangent for like thirty seconds. I feel like a lot of the conversations they have had in the movie i've also had with my sister just like random yeah dialogue you know like you ever you ever think about this you know so yeah check it out you have to watch this you have to watch this thank you so much connor for joining us this has been so much fun it's been my pleasure i love it's been watching. a lot of fun definitely i love watching all these movies with both of you and next week we will have another co-host another genre ted what are we talking about Next genre, we're going to have my good friend Brennan Fairley come on, and we are going to be talking about peak genre films. For him, he's going to be talking about peak horror, and he's going to be doing Alien, and there's going to be a 40th anniversary event where Alien is going to return to theaters this coming weekend. You went with? I went with crime, so... People would probably think of Godfather or Goodfellas, a Scorsese movie, which I would support but personally i think the best crime movie is city of god i believe it came out in 2002 it was definitely early 2000s and it's a brazilian movie that follows the story of a kind photographer who's a bit naive in this criminal world and basically the worst psychopath you've ever seen in a movie i watched it when i was just getting into film (laughs) and in my memory remains one of the best movies i've seen so far and I'm really excited to watch it again and with you all. Yeah, I've heard great things about this film. And it's always ranked at the top, like, top movies of the 2000s or of the last decade, you know. And I've only heard amazing things about this film. So hopefully it lives up. Mm-hmm. And speaking about amazing films, my genre that I decided <laughs> to do was peak Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> so I decided to pick Pirates of the Caribbean 2, Dead Man's Chest. Epic film. It's awesome. I really want to rewatch this because it was such a big part of my childhood. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Connor, where can people find your work? My band, Soul Human. You can find us on Spotify, YouTube, Amazon Music, Apple Music, Google Play, everywhere. And you can follow us on Instagram at Soul Human Jams. We'll keep you updated. And if you live in Rochester, you can come see us live.
They're a lot of fun. They're really talented. We, Ted and I, got to see their first show live back when you guys were at Rockwall Pass Out. Yes. <laughs> um, and it has been <laughs> Those so... Those were the days. Less than a year ago, that was. Oh my god, yeah. It's just, it's been so exciting to watch you guys evolve from, like, unharnessed talent to, like, a true force. Yes. In, uh, yeah. We've you... got an EP, six songs, released all over the place. Yeah, your sound is great. It's really excellent. Thank you. And we've got new originals in the works. Yes. If you see us live, you can hear them. Looking forward to that. Our intro is... Jazz Nut, one of our originals. One of our most popular originals, actually. If you want to hear it in full, <laughs> come find us on Spotify. <laughs> and all those other things. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Ted, where can people find your work? You can find my work at These Fine Times on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, but I'm most active on my Instagram. And this month I am do- doing Inktober, where in which every day I do a different prompt. Uh, and I basically, I'm drawing different characters for my comic as well as my D&D world. Uh, earlier, earlier this week, I drew Connor's character, Throck Fistbeard. Yeah, so I'm posting pretty frequently now. New, new art every day, sometimes multiple posts per day. Uh, yeah. It's hey. awesome. Ted's a really good artist. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so you can find my work, um, my two other podcasts, Terry Talks Podcast and Stories Worth Sharing, anywhere you find podcasts. Hopefully one day I'll have Connor and his band on Stories Worth Sharing. Maybe uh, before your new album comes out, we'll sit down and chat about your process. Hell yeah. Um, so keep your eye out for that. Subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. As Connor mentioned, our intro song was Jazz Nut by soul human we'll link to all your stuff down in the bio thank you all for watching we'll catch you in two weeks bye bye